Revolution Laundry. The self-service 18kg Revolution Laundry machine can wash and dry your bedding, curtains, outdoor furniture, throws, car covers or mats for as little as 10 euro. We are located all across Ireland in mainly large supermarkets and foreports. Find your nearest Revolution Laundry machine on our website www.revolutionlaundry.ie Don't miss out on our Facebook giveaway to win a week worth of free washing. Revolution Laundry is partnered with Tesco, Circle K, Supervalue, Apple Green and Independent Sites. Our machines are for domestic use only. The Business Hour podcast is kindly sponsored by photo-me.ie Hi, Jim McCausland here, presenter of the Business R Show on Ross FM. Just dropping by to let you know the Business R Show airs every Thursday from 5pm to 6pm on Ross FM 94.6. To listen in, visit rossfm.ie forward slash live or download my weekly podcast from anchor.fm forward slash the Business R Show. Text your questions and comments to 083-85-99748 or info at rossfm.ie. The Business R Show, supporting local and international business through local radio. Hello and welcome to the Business Show on Ross FM with me, Jim McCausland. Today on the show, I'm delighted to be joined by Pascal Fitzmorris, Finnefall Councillor and owner of the Market Fresh Fruit and Veg Shop in Kesselree, County Roscommon. Hi, Pascal, and thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Jim. Pascal, um, before we get into how your business operates and all that there, I was wondering, could I talk to you about your own early years? Can you tell us a wee bit about yourself? Yeah, okay, Jim. Well, I, I, I suppose we're, we're talking a bit about business or coming into that. Mm-hmm. As a young lad, I worked in a, in a local shop in Castlereagh, and it was Frank Quinn's V&G shop. And uh, it was a good experience, I suppose, and it was nice to work in a shop, and I liked that atmosphere. Um, I also worked with my father part-time during the summer in Malloy's shop in Roscam, and my father, late father Jim was... Uh, manager in Malloy's and Roscommon, so I often worked there in the summertime. So that was part of my early years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the, the VEC school in Castlereagh, and um, I uh, didn't go to college. I went working in a factory for a little while. And uh, then after that, I uh, after a year, I went to London. Like a lot of lads at the time in the 1980s, there was very little work. And uh, I headed for London. I think, in fact, nearly all of my classes probably in London or somewhere like it um, in America or someplace. So spent a little while in the buildings in London. And uh, in my earlier years, I'd also worked with Chris Carroll, who was a DJ. And uh, I used to go to discos with him. And, you know, myself and Chris doing a lot of trucking together at those discos. I used to help him with the gear and things like that. So I was very interested in music. And um, I was in London, as I said. And I saw an advertisement to uh, do a part-time course as a sound engineer. So I grabbed it and I rang them up and the course had started, but I persuaded them because I had been involved a little bit in the music business. I persuaded them to let me on the course and uh, spent about a year on that course and I came out with a, uh, a, I suppose it was a kind of a degree at the time or it was was certainly a, a piece of paper to say that I was a sound engineer. 
and um, I uh, then came back to Ireland and uh, I started working in the music business in Ireland. Yeah. Pascal, how would you describe your parents' characteristics and what type of qualities do you think those instilled in you as a young child that you still practice today? Well, uh, my mother was a national school teacher and uh, my father worked in a shop, as I said, in Roscommon. And I suppose they were, there were seven of us in the family. And uh, I suppose we were, I wouldn't say we were wealthy, but we certainly uh, got everything we ever needed. And uh, we had a great life and uh, we got good education. And uh, as I said, my mother was a national school teacher, so education was important. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose look at it, that was part of, of a good upbringing to, to get that. And that instilled something in me. Uh, to work hard was something that was instilled in me and uh, is still in me. And uh, I, I, I like people who, who are hard workers. And no matter what job you're doing, uh, I think everybody is equal and that any job they're doing is as important as another. And uh, I suppose that has instilled quite a lot in me. Mm-hmm. Pascal, uh, talk us through again uh, there, your first job there as a teenager. What was that? Yeah, I worked in a shop part-time as mm-hmm. a teenager in Castlery and uh, I liked that. I liked working in the shop. I liked the fact of, you know, meeting people, the interaction uh, and uh, the different elements in a, at the time. We could call it a supermarket, but supermarkets in that time were, were small little shops, but, they, you know, they, they still stocked everything and they had a full range of stuff and um, it was a good time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. What was it you enjoyed most about working in shops? I suppose the interaction with people really was 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 the good thing and the challenge of trying to convince them to buy something and mm-hmm. you know showing them that this is nice or this is a good thing to buy and you know you get a bit of a buzz when they say yeah I'll, I'll take that you know so it's it's I suppose that is still in me today and I I, I enjoy that interaction and trying to to sell the person. Uh, a item that I believe is good for them, you know. Yeah, I suppose looking back, you've been involved in business and working in businesses for a long time. You must have noticed a lot of changes over the years. Yeah, a huge amount of changes. You know, as I said, when I was young, there were there were plenty of shops in each town, loads of small little shops, and people made a living in those small little shops. And uh, that has all changed now. It's it's very very much uh, very large shops and, and convenience shops and uh, petrol filling stations with shops attached to them and the traditional sweet shop or the traditional grocery shop in the middle of the town is, is more or less gone uh, it's very difficult for those people to make money and uh, that, that, that's gone to be honest with you so business has changed that way the main street of the town now is more kind of coffee shops and uh, maybe you know different things like phone shops and different things like that so it has changed quite a lot but you know look we have to embrace change and, and work with it so yeah. that's that's life you know really Jim yeah Pascal over the last year with a COVID pandemic we've seen a lot of people working from home and it's provided great opportunities for people and organizations to reconsider how they operate with within the long term at, in order to facilitate people working from home do you think that that is going to help with the renewal of rural Ireland? Yeah, Jim, I hope it does, you know, because really and truly quite a lot of people that go into an office, that they have two uh, tools, as we call them, to work on. One is a telephone and one is a computer. And uh, thankfully, you can do that anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and I suppose really it's, it's up to employers to 
to you know to have a little bit of trust in their employees that they can do their job from home or from a, a remote office away from perhaps a city or a town. So I, I think it's a, you know it's an evolving thing. I think it'll take some time for people to trust that. Of course, we've seen an awful lot of that over the last year and a half with COVID where people were working remotely and working from home. And I, I hope it has been a good experience for employers because it's important that I think that that continues. Now, um, that will be good for rural Ireland because if somebody can work from home or work in a rural area, of course, you don't have the transport. Um, you have um, more time socially with your family. Um, and I, I think quite a lot of people would say that they actually get more work done at home because they tend to spend a little bit longer working uh, rather than commuting. Yeah. And uh, so I hope it's a positive thing. I think it's a good thing to rejuvenate rural Ireland. It really is the best thing that we have coming. And um, I think as you know, broadband improves, and it is improving. A lot of our towns now have fibre broadband, and a lot of rural areas. And as time goes on, that will that will increase. And um, I, I am hopeful that it will be a turning point for rural Ireland to create employment. Certainly. It's great to hear that positivity from you, uh, Pascal. And when I look at places like Castlery, they're best placed to deal with people working from home and uh, working remotely. I believe the hub in Castlery has hot desks that you can hire now at or if you wish to do working from home. Is that right? That's right, Jim. Yeah, I'm a director of the hub in Castlery and uh, we have a great complex there. We've got a, a community hall for sports activity. We've got a training food kitchen. Uh, we also have uh, Castlery, the famous Castlery Boxing Club. Mm. Eva O'Rourke is a, is a, the Olymp Olympian is a member. Uh, we also have hot desking and we have people working there remotely. So it is a buzz of activity and the hot desking is available for people to rent. There are desks there and we're quite fortunate that we have a, a, a sizable number of people working there already uh, remotely and uh, working mm. at those desks. So yeah, I think it's a it's a positive thing. It's a hard thing to sell for some people because some people, um, you know, they tend to want this service, but sometimes, you know, they they they, they don't push, I suppose, push their weight behind um, ensuring that they they use it, you know, fully. And it is it is an important service in rural Ireland, but we we've had quite a bit of interest in it, and uh, we're quite happy with the progress that we're making on it. Mm -hmm. That's great to hear that. Pascal, just before we leave that there, uh, issue about people working from home and all that there, uh, uh, you've got two hats. You're, you have the businessman hat and you've got the councillor hat. Do you think that there's more that could be done on a national level to help facilitate more people working from home? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we can always, I suppose, look at the model and see how we can improve it. And it's important, you know, when, when, when you have a model, it's important to improve that model where you see there's, there's downfalls in it. And of course, you know, there, there should be incentives to work from home and there could be taxation incentives to work from home. Um, there could be other things done to help people to do that. But it's also important that employers embrace that. And the government is another employer with the civil service. And mm -hmm. it's important that they embrace it as well, that people can work from home. So, yeah, there's, there's always room for improvement there. And, and um, I think where people want to work from home and they can prove that they can do their job adequately from home, I think they should be allowed to do so, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Pascal, uh, you touched on earlier that you used to be a sound engineer in the music business. I believe you spent 14 years at that. Why did you yeah. want to become a sound engineer? And can you name some of the artists you you worked with? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, Jim, it all started out when 
I um, used to help a guy called Chris Carroll who works for Midwest Radio um, and uh, Chris used to do the discos and I used to help him with the gear and bringing the gear in and bringing the gear out as well. It was a kind of a roadie in a sense, but that's kind of, I suppose, where I got the bug from. And uh, it moved on from there. And as I said, I was in London and I, I, I trained to be a sound engineer. And uh, I came back to Ireland then and I got a job working uh, in the music business. Um, I suppose it probably wasn't my favourite type of music, country music, but I started out working for Louise Morrissey, the country singer. And um, I, I spent, she was a beautiful singer. I, I think she still is a fine singer. And um, I got a bit of a bug for the country music there. And um, uh, I spent about 14 years with Louise. And uh, it was a good time. And, you know, we spent a lot of time doing shows. And, of course, I used to do the sound at a lot of these shows. And lots of different artists would be singing at these kind of, you know, sometimes you'd have charity shows on. And all of the different artists we're singing at them. You could have McFlab and Declan Nerney. Um, you could have Daniel O'Donnell. It could be the Conquerors. It could be any of these bands, you know, over the years. Gloria, I remember Gloria one night above in Dundalk, I think it was, and I thought she was a fine singer. She's a terribly, terribly good singer. Philomena uh, Begley worked with us for a while when Louise was off sick. Um, lots of different people, you know, and uh, that was a good time. And then we, we were also working for a company called Ritz Records and uh, Louise was signed to Ritz Records and uh, this kind of opened I suppose a few new doors for us in that uh, the big thing at the time was to tour in England and to try and break into the theatre market. Now if you imagine that there's something in the region of 5 million people living in Ireland and you have over almost 62 or 3 million people living in England, it was a huge market and the theatre business in the winter time in England was huge so you could go into any town and there could have maybe 2,000 seat theatre you could be playing there any Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, starting maybe at half seven or eight o'clock in the evening, and it might be all over at 10 o'clock or half 10. So it was a new market, and uh, we we were working at that, and uh, on one of those sets of tours that has worked out over maybe a year, a year and a half, we were supporting Charlie Pride on those tours. So it was nice to meet Charlie and to meet his band, and it brought us into bigger theatres, you know, maybe two and three thousand seat theatres, theatres that we probably wouldn't have been able to go into on our own. So those tours were very good. We we travelled in, in all parts of England, Scotland and Wales and we might do a tour maybe in Scotland. So you might be going from right from the tip of Scotland up near John O'Groats down to places like Wick into Dundee and Peterhead and into Inverness and Aberdeen and Edinburgh and, you know, Stirling maybe in Glasgow. Yeah. And then you might do a tour down the, the west coast and right down to Ipswich, maybe a south coast of Bournemouth and course through Wales and then of course a tour in the Midlands maybe but it was a good it was good to do that tour it was nice to meet Charlie a very down to earth guy and uh, we also done another large tour with Dominic Kerwin now Dominic was huge in England at the time and he was filling a lot of big theatres so we done a couple of tours with him as well supporting him so that was a you know it was nice to do those tours and yeah. it was nice to meet all those people I suppose in a sense you know you're away from home a long time and it's it's kind of you know you either love it or you hate it and I suppose I kind of got to the stage where, you know, I, I began to hate it more than love it. Yeah. And uh, I suppose that kind of where I got to the stage where I said, you know, it's time to move on and move on to something new, you know? Yeah. Okay. We're going to be right back after this break. This is Martina Dockery from the Mixed Bag Music Show. I'm just dropping by to let you know about an exciting opportunity to advertise on Ross FM 94.6 and on our website, rossfm.ie. Have your ad on the air this week and remind Roscommon that you are open for business. 
Take advantage of our competitive rates and submit your application today at rossfm.ie forward slash advertise. So do it today. We're waiting to hear from you. Ross FM supporting local business. Welcome back. I'm joined in studio today by Pascal Fitzmorris, a Finnafall councillor and owner of the Market Fruit and Veg store in Castlereagh, County Roscommon. Pascal, uh, we've talked about your early years, but now I want to talk a wee bit more about your career in business and what it's like to be a business owner in a small rural town in the west of Ireland. What were the motivating factors that led you to become an entrepreneur and open your own fruit and veg store in Castlereagh? Yeah, I suppose, Jim, as I said to you there a little while ago, I got, kind of got tired on the road and I wanted to do something different. And uh, my father had worked in the in the retail business and uh, my brother, John, also worked in the retail business and I had done some retail myself as, as a young lad. So it was something, I suppose, that was kind of, maybe there was a little bit of a bug in me for that. And uh, I just wanted to do something different. And uh, I um, decided I'd open a little fruit and vegetable shop in Castlereagh all those years ago and uh, some people told me I was mad other people said you know sure give it a go there's no fruit and vegetable shop in the town and at the time there were quite a number of fruit and veg shops you know independent grocers in every single town that's about 25 years ago yeah so um I gave it a go and uh, you know sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and mm-hmm. uh, just go for it and see how it works out for you you know and that's that's the fact of business that you know if you work it out in your mind you probably would never do anything yeah. So you just sometimes have to take that leap of faith and just go for it and hope for the best. And that's what I done. And uh, yeah. thankfully, all those years ago, it worked out fine for me. And I'm still here today. Of course, business has changed completely from when I started out yeah. 25 years ago. But, you know, I'm still in business and uh, I still enjoy what I'm doing. And I think that that is a key thing for all entrepreneurs, that you have that well in this that you aren't risk adverse really that you 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 sit down and go right okay yeah there will be challenges but let's press ahead give it a lash see how we get on and in in most ways that's that's how entrepreneurs succeed yeah that's true jim and you know i suppose really you know you have to rejuvenate yourself every so often and you have to try and change your business slightly and you know uh, you have to accept that some of the things that you might have been selling 25 years ago just don't sell free anymore yeah. and then you may find that there's other niches in the market that you find work better for you and maybe you're able to make a, a better profit out of those but mm-hmm. in the in the retail business and in the food business it's very difficult to, to actually make a profit so mm-hmm. um, you know I suppose look at I've, I've rejuvenated myself a little bit and I'm thankful that I'm my business is still open today because it is very difficult for small independent yeah. uh, grocers and retailers to, to stay going at the moment you, you need you need a lot of footfall and uh, you also need i suppose you know a lot of uh, goodwill and you also need to be you know level-headed in how you you run that business so mm-hmm. there's a huge challenge there but thankfully you know it's it's still going strong for me you you touched on a point there about reinventing yourself and moving with different times and that there uh, I know off offer you and me discussed about inspiration uh, there and where you get the inspiration. How do you get your inspiration for um, directing the business in a certain way? Uh, there, where do you where do you get the ideas from? Well, I suppose you know you 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 try something, you take a chance, and you try something new, and sometimes they work mm-hmm. out for you, and sometimes they don't. But 
it's important to have, I suppose, a broad range of items that you can, you know, if one thing fails, well, hopefully there'll be some other element that will make money for you to, to keep your business going. And uh, that's the life of business. We have to always, you know, change what we're doing and rejuvenate yourself. And you try some new item or a new line of, of uh, items and see where they sell for you. And sometimes you lose money on them. Other times, they're, they're, you know, they're a great success. But you just have to keep trying. You have to tr- keep trying to find ways of bringing a customer in through the door. And, of course, that has all changed in yeah. over the last, I suppose, five years. Really and truly, it's all now about social media and how do you connect with that person on social media. You know, mm-hmm. frightening to think that, I suppose, in Ireland, something in the region of two million people use Facebook every day. Wow. And um, unfortunately or fortunately, that's the way it's moving. Mm-hmm. And you have to move with the times and try and get your message out there in different ways, I suppose. You know, yeah. 20 years ago, you just used the local newspaper to get your yeah. message out there. Or drew up a poster. Time, <laughs> you know, put up a poster. In fact, probably at the time, there was very little radio stations even. Yeah. Whereas now it's moving all towards social media and, you know, getting your message out there, but also through the local radio to get your message out there. So it's it's important to, to find different ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the poster, I'm a great believer in the poster myself. I always have posters outside my shop. Yeah. shouting about something good that I have and you hope that somebody will, you know, passing by will pull up and purchase something off you. So it's 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 a challenging, it's always challenging, but mm-hmm. you have to move with the times and, and try yeah. something new, you know. I know uh, this year I'm working in retail 26 years and um, I, I still get a buzz out of going around and looking at different ideas or looking at different stores or going off to trade shows or reading some journals, uh, industry journals, uh, to get ideas and all that there. Um, I suppose like a lot of people involved in retail, it's much to the disgust of my wife when we go out somewhere and I stop off at five petrol stations along the way. Uh, they're uh, promising her that I'll only nip in for two minutes. Uh, there, and half an hour later, I come out and I've, I've a, a load of ideas uh, there about what I would like to do next. <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, that's, it's... That's, that's probably for you, Jim, running in looking at the petrol stations, whereas yeah. I have to pull up and looking at the fruit and vegetable shop that I see along the road to see what are they doing that I'm not doing. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's part of business. And, you know, as a business person, you see something different in that shop than the ordinary person does. Mm. And you, as yeah. a, as, as a, as a, the type of business that you're in, you'll see something in that shop that I won't see. And, you know, mm-hmm. when I go into a fruit and vegetable shop, I'll see something that somebody else doesn't see, like the brand of a bag of potatoes or, you know, the I might look at, say, there might be strawberries enough for an ad. Straight away, I'll know they're from Holland or from Belgium or from Ireland or straight yeah. away, I'll know where they're from and I'd be curious about, you know, what the quality is like. So it's it's all part of the business mm-hmm. you're in. And of course, you're always looking for that better idea than the one you have yourself. And, you know, we always like to embrace something new, you know. Yeah. Pascal, um, you touched upon the fact that it's very hard for independent fruit and veg businesses to operate at the minute. I suppose one of the challenges I think about when I think about the fruit and veg business is uh, below cost selling of fruit and veg. That must be a massive challenge by multiple stores. It must be a massive challenge for uh, people that are working in the, the independent side of things. Absolutely. I mean, on, 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 you know, selling something at cost or, or below cost mm-hmm. is, is a huge uh, challenge, but it's also very, very damaging to not only to small retailers, but also to the farming industry. 
And, uh, you know, if you have a shop where you have a thousand lines uh, to sell and you decide, well, let's uh, slash the price of, say, four or five items that only one particular independent retailer sells. For for example, yep. it could be a butcher shop, it could be a bookshop, it could be a fruit and veg shop, it could be a music shop. So if you take that particular item and sell it at cost or well below cost, well, you know, you're 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 trying to get the people in to buy your other items. But it's quite unfair and it's actually predatory selling and that's mm-hmm. how I describe it as predatory selling because what you're doing is you're trying to kill off the market in other shops that sell that yeah. item because let's face it you know the light doesn't come on for nothing and no. the, 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 the every item in your shop doesn't mm. work for nothing and staff don't work for nothing so therefore you have to make a profit in order to, to um, keep your shop going but it also has a huge damage to farming and, and I'll tell you why because let's say if you took say one item like say Brussels sprouts and let's say they're costing say ninety cent a kilo mm-hmm. and you're selling a half a kilo then for forty five cent and uh, but you decide then to to sell it at maybe twenty five cent. Yep. So the problem with that is that the farmer that's supplying you okay he's okay because he's getting his full price and you're taking the the cut on it you're taking the hit on it. Yeah. But then the other five or six farmers who are also selling Brussels sprouts and growing Brussels sprouts in Ireland, well, mm. they will go out of business because yep. they can't compete and their, mar- their market for the sale of that item diminishes. And so that, that item goes. So what in, end up, ends up happening is that you end up with maybe one or two growers in the whole of Ireland supplying all of the market. And if they, they if they come up with a problem or if they end up in a situation where they're losing money, really and truly as a country we can lose that um vegetable item and that we've mm-hmm. seen that already there are something only region in the region of two or three brussels sprout growers left in ireland something in the region of five or six commercial carrot growers in ireland mm-hmm. and something in the region of maybe 100 to 150 potato growers in ireland so it's it's a cutthroat business yep. a lot of people who are involved in it you have to be involved in it in such a big way in order to make a profit but then if the multiples cut their, the cost that they're, or the, the amount of money they're giving them for the produce they end up in a situation where they say well you know maybe it'd be better off growing barley or wheat or something else yeah. and they pull out of the market mm-hmm. so it's 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 damaging it's very very damaging long term okay it sounds great the, the 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 person shopping gets a fruit and veg item at a very cheap price and 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 that's good it's good yeah. to get it at a cheap price but Long term, it's not sustainable. No, it's and not. I believe in the next five years, we'll see very, 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 very little growers of fruit and vegetables left in Ireland because mm-hmm. of this. And that's very damaging. We've seen that now where, like with COVID-19, where with a crisis, where we, we see that in our particular business, where the same Spain, Spain is a huge market for Ireland in relation to fruit and vegetables. And we've seen where the Spanish people uh, weren't going to restaurants and uh, weren't eating fish as much as they, they would normally be. And this had a knock-on effect where the Spanish trawlers weren't uh, dropping off as much fish in Ireland as they normally would. That would mean that the lorries weren't coming to Ireland with the, uh, to collect the fish. So those empty lorries would not normally bring fruit and vegetables into Ireland, but we've seen that because they weren't coming to collect the fish, well, the price of fruit and vegetables out of Spain uh, went way up in price. Yes. So it's very, very important to have your local market for these items. But if mm. if we if we keep going on the way we're going, we will end up with very, very few fruit and veg growers left in Ireland. Mm. And that's a, a sad fact, I think. 
It is. I just think it's absolutely shocking. I think, and particularly around the Christmas period, where you see some multiples, and we're not going to name them. We all know who they are out there. Um, going out at 50 cents for carrots, for Brussels sprouts, melons, pineapples, pineapples, melons. You name it. Yeah. yeah, and it's it, and again, I would echo what you're saying. Uh, there, it's great for a consumer to get a, a cheaper price and all that. There, but the long term issue is that we could lose them items because of what's going on. Uh, yeah, we've seen that already, and we've seen certain mm-hmm. items that at times of the year can be very difficult to get, like grapefruits. One time it was very easy to get grapefruits. Now it's quite a lot harder to get them because these markets get squeezed. And eventually, you know, the people, not only in Ireland, but in other countries, you know, get tired of us selling a produce that mm-hmm. perhaps just making a tiny profit or, you know, selling it very, very cheaply. And they get out of that business. So it's it's the kicking boy for, I suppose, fruit and vegetables is the kicking boy for everybody to, to, to want something for nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there are farmers, not only Irish farmers, but European farmers that do a great job at, at growing those fruit and vegetables. But unfortunately, we're squeezing that market to death. And uh, I can assure you that within the next five years, people will be scratching their heads. How come there are no parsnips on the shelf? Or mm-hmm. how come I can't get such an item, like maybe a very simple item? You know, And uh, the reason why is because uh, multiples have... have uh, uh, I suppose brought us to the very bottom here yep. where they want everything um, you know for nothing and they mm-hmm. want to sell it for nothing I suppose if we we look at it from a different angle for a second at our, say take the Brussels sprout growers in Ireland you're saying there's three left at our, approximately three yeah. left yeah. if we started to have to import more lines like that there are Brussels sprouts and all that at, when it comes to climate change we're adding we're adding carbon carbon miles out there into the equation. We're now having to ship this over, which is far worse for the environment than growing it in Ireland. Out there. So even from an environmental point of view, a climate change point of view, this has a negative impact. Yeah, Jim, of course it has. It has a negative impact. And it, it, you know, it, it also has you're you're looking at an item that I suppose is two or three days older maybe than the than the Irish item and, and in order to keep that in order to keep that item fresh you're relying on a lot of refrigeration to keep that and of course that that heads into climate change as well so you know if you can get the produce locally and it's fresh that's the best way to get it rather than you know huge refrigeration trying to keep that produce you know uh, going for an extra couple of days so you know people should really realise that you know try and buy local try and buy it fresh and uh, it's it's helping your local economy, but it's also in the long term. It's going to mean that that item is available, and it's helping the climate when it's when it's local rather than it being imported maybe a couple of hundred or a thousand miles. You know, Pascal. In relation to sourcing locally for your business, uh, are you able to source off Irish suppliers yourself? Yeah, we have a number of suppliers. Not a not a, not a huge amount, but mm-hmm. we have carrots and parsnips that are grown in Athlone, uh, along by the River Shannon there in the Callows. Uh, we get organic lettuce from a company in Williamstown, kale and scallions and different things like that. And um, we also have a supplier in Elfin, Glancings in Elfin, who supplies with quite a lot of fruit and veg as well. So, you know, there are local people who, who do supply us. 
Yeah, that, that's great to hear. And yeah. there's a ripple effect too. Uh, I know we, we spoke about the, the small independent business, but there's a massive ripple effect by people shopping local and local businesses that are buying in from other local businesses. So it's it's a great ripple effect. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's nice to see that, you know, and it's, it's lovely to see some new little business opening locally. And I know we have a, um, a business that opened there a few years ago, Concundra Cheese, which was a, a, a guy making cheese out. Ross FM 94.6, your community radio station for all your job vacancy adverts. Have you got job vacancies you want to advertise for unbeatable prices? Then look no further than Ross FM 94.6 for your job vacancies, which will be aired on the Business Hour show every Thursday between 5 and 6 p.m. Contact us today via email info at rossfm.ie to have your job vacancies on air. The job section on Ross FM 94.6 is kindly sponsored by PhotoMe. For all your self-service vending machines, why not check out photo-me.ie. That is www.photo-me.ie. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Pascal Fitzmaurice, a Finnefall councillor and owner of the Market Fruit and Veg business in Castlereagh, County Roscommon. Pascal, Castlereagh Town seems to be constantly developing and trying to put the west of Ireland on the map with new innovations and employment strategies. How significant was the arrival of uh, Harmac Medical Factory in Castlereagh? And can you tell us about some of the projects that have developed locally because of Harmac? Yeah, Harmac are a huge employer in Castlereagh, as is Colour Communications. They're both mm-hmm. American companies, and uh, we're very fortunate to have them, both of them here in Castlereagh. But um, Harmac Medical are, are, you know, are very involved in the community. And uh, the company was founded by Lou and John Summers from uh, Buffalo in uh, upstate New York. And uh, they came to Ireland uh, just over 20 years ago to set up a factory. And we were very fortunate that we had a factory in Castlereagh that had a medical company in it that had left and uh, but had built uh, quite a large clean room in it. So uh, this company could set up quite quickly because the clean room was there. And... Uh, it started off very small with maybe 10 employees and uh, built it up from there. And uh, Mick McEnroe, who was the managing director, was with them from the start. And uh, Mick has, with the team, has built the business into a huge, huge business on a huge site in Castlereagh. And we're terribly fortunate to have them. Uh, there are over 300 people working in Harmac Medical as of today. And uh, they're a fine employer here in our town, but they're also very, very interested in the local community and how that, I suppose, how it affects the lives of the, the local community, but also the lives of the employees of Harmac. So they've been very, very good to us locally in sponsorship of different um, initiatives and different uh, things in the town. And one thing I was involved in myself was to regenerate the, the, the site around the swimming pool in Castlereagh. There was, was an old playground at the back of it. And um, the entrance to the pool was right out onto the main road. And Harmac were very concerned about that because of their lorries passing by, which they felt was a danger to young children who were uh, walking and coming in and out to the pool. So we, we put a plan together and I showed it to uh, John, who had come over from America, and I showed it to Mick. And that plan was to turn around the entrance of the pool and 
put it at the back and build a new playground and a new car park. And thankfully, the county council um, accepted our plan and said that, you know, it was a good idea and something that was important, not only for Harmick, but also for Castlereagh. And uh, we proceeded with that and uh, we built this new playground, a new car park and uh, new entrance to the pool. And uh, we also rejuvenated an old park that was there, which was very old, grown with trees. And uh, Harmack came on board with some sponsorship for that, which was great as well. So they've been very, very involved. And uh, we uh, put in some exercise machines and a walking uh, track as well in that. But but also I, I felt because not only because of the sponsorship they gave us, but because of their belief in Cassarie for over 20 years and the fact that Lou Summers and, and his wife, Betty, who both were tragically died in, a, in an accident in America. But John, who's, who's heads the company now, uh, was very interested in our town. So we decided to call this new park Summers Park. And it's not S-U-M-M-E-R, it's S-O-M-E-R-S, because yeah. John is John Summers and Bet and Louis Summers. So they were the Summers family and they had great belief in our town and created huge employment here. And I suppose there were times when opportunities came for them to move to a different town with maybe a state-of-the-art plant. But they chose to stay with Castlereagh and so did Mick McEnroe. Who, who lives in Sligo, decided that Castlereagh was their home and it had been very lucky for them and they had great employees here, so they stuck yeah. with it. So we decided to make, name the area that park, Summers Park, after the family. And um, they were delighted with that. And uh, John Summers and his brother and their wives and the family, they all came over from America for the opening of that park. It was a very special day just over two years ago, I think three years ago, actually. And Minister Heather Humphreys came down on the day to officially open the playground and the park. So it was a special day. And, uh, you know, we have a great relationship with Harmick Medical. They've also been involved with the Hope and Castle who They've given us sponsorship towards, uh, I suppose, improving and creating that community facility. But they're very good locally here to, to, to give sponsorship. And they're very interested in the town very interested in seeing that the whole area improves so we're, we're delighted to have them and I work closely with them on many projects and I'm, I'm hoping to you know create a new project in the domain in Castlereagh we're, we're hoping to create an active travel route where we'd, we would have some cycling tracks through new parts of the domain that would connect yeah. up to different parts of the town including Harwick Medical and to our swimming pool and to different areas there the hub and to the, the different pitches uh, to create, you know, a new element because active travel, I suppose, really is the buzzword at the moment to try and get people cycling to work or cycling to wherever you want to go. So they are very involved in embracing that idea. So we're hopeful that that will progress. But as a company, Harmac, and have been very, very uh, good to Castlereagh. Yeah. Chatting with you, Pascal, it's it's very evident to hear that you're a very passionate, very proud Castlery man. Uh, there, that, that comes across. Uh, it must be great when you see big businesses, big employers coming into the town and the ripple effect that that creates in the wider community. Yeah, it, it, it is good. And, you know, when I might be out canvassing or out working in a, a rural area and you might just go to a door and you meet a family and you say, well, where are you working? Well, I'm working in Harmic Medical or in Coloured Communications in Cassidy. It's lovely to think that, you know, that in a rural area that a family can get employment rather than moving to Galway or Dublin, that they get, get employment locally. And those children are involved in the local football club and the, 
they're involved in the local school where they're going to school and it brings a vibrancy to the area, but not only just to Castlereagh, but to the wider area of West Roscommon. Yeah. It's great to see these people getting employment and uh, it's it's great just for the whole area, you know. So I, as a as a Castlereagh person, I'm, I'm delighted to see that. Mm-hmm. I'm delighted that we have these employers and I hope that they're here for many, many years to come. Uh, but it is great for our town, certainly is. Yeah. Pascal, I believe you play a significant role in the continuous development of Castlereagh Enterprise Hub alongside Castlereagh Town Teams and Roscommon Leader Partnership. Can you tell our listeners about some of the initiatives you've helped to deliver as a businessman and political representative in the Castlereagh area? Yeah, well, I'm involved in two groups. I'm I'm a a director of Enterprise Castlereagh, who uh, created the hub business and Benny O'Connell is our chairperson, I'm the vice chairperson. We created a, a food training kitchen. Uh, we also have multiple rooms there, but I'm also involved with Castlereagh Town team. And uh, we've also been trying to, uh, you know, rejuvenate our town in different ways. And, you know, we've done dis- different initiatives to do that. And uh, this year we're involved uh, with the town and village renewal scheme where we've done a painting um job in Castlereagh where we painted a lot of old buildings and used very strong colours to improve the streetscape and uh, it's nice when you drive through a town and you don't see dereliction or mm-hmm. that, an attempt to stop dereliction and that's something we were doing so we, we you know we, we were delighted with that so that was one initiative I'm also uh, involved there as I said with the hub and we're trying to create new food training units which we think will be a very exciting thing to create employment in the town yeah. Um, I'm also involved in the constant development of Summers Park where we're trying to bring some new community elements to that and sporting elements for people to you know, enjoy the outdoors and we have our heated swimming pool which we're very proud of and um, that will be open till the end of August and uh, that's a great facility and gets great support so you know, we, we, we keep trying to improve our town and um, there's always a new idea around the corner and uh, that's the beauty of it that you keep trying to think of something new and Mm-hmm. I'd like to bring active travel to Castlereagh with lots of cycling routes to the, the park. We have about 600 acres there of a public park in Castlereagh, which is open to all of the public to use. And, uh, you know, we just keep trying and uh, try to improve the town. And I think it's working for us. The town, we're very lucky to have a very large mart here, Cattle Mart in Castlereagh, which brings in loads and loads of people on a Thursday and a Monday to the Mart and um, that's also brings great vibrancy to the town so mm-hmm. you know we try to improve on what we have and uh, try and come up with some new ideas to, to improve different parts of the town so it's working pretty well for us at the moment. Yeah you touched on the outdoor swimming pool in Castlereagh uh, I, I think that's an absolutely great asset to the town at um, especially it's a heated swimming pool uh, there can't be too many outdoor heated swimming pools in, in in that kind of a setting in Ireland that are left yeah there aren't that many Jim uh, Castlereagh's pool is, is over 70 years old mm-hmm. it's a 33 metre swimming pool and in fact uh, I believe it was the first inland swimming pool in Ireland most swimming pools you know 50 or 60 years ago were at the seaside where the built a wall and trapped the seawater into a pool. Um, but ours was, I think, the first one in Ireland. So we're always trying to be ahead of the posse on these things. Yeah. And thankfully it has survived and Roscommon County Council took it over and they run the pool now. It's very expensive to run a pool. People mm-hmm. don't realise that. But it is a heated, outdoor heated swimming pool. Um, I think it's the only one in County Roscommon. There's one in Drumshambo. I think there's one in Charlestown. 
Um, there are there are a few around the country, but mm-hmm. it is a pretty unique element, and I'd, I'd encourage people to come and use the pool. You know, it's open Wednesday to Sunday uh, until the end of August, and it's heated. It's lovely to get into a heated outdoor pool. It's just a unique, uh, I suppose, experience, and uh, it gets great use. In fact, there a few weeks ago with the very hot weather, uh, people were being turned away, so we were delighted to see that it was getting such use. And uh, But it's still going strong, and even on a wet day, you'd be amazed people go swimming in the heat mm-hmm. of the pool, so it's, it's a nice experience. Yeah. Pascal, in 2009, you decided to pursue a career in politics. What motivated you to go into politics? Yeah, I suppose I was involved a lot in the community here in Castlery, involved in shopping initiatives and Christmas lights and different things to improve the town. And, you know, as, as a trader, you know, there's a great camaraderie here amongst the traders to to do things to improve the town, like like in Roscommon Town, where you where you have the chamber in Roscommon, who are who are a great group that are trying to improve Roscommon Town. So we're we're a similar group here in Castlery, and I was quite involved in that. I was also very involved in Castlery Festival which was another group that were, you know, running the festival to improve the town during the summer and bring a bit of a buzz. And I suppose it kind of led on from that where I got a little bit interested in politics um, and uh, I had a liking for it and uh, I just got more interested in it. And I suppose someday somebody said, well, why wouldn't you go to the council and get some payment for what you're doing already in the community? Mm-hmm. And um, suddenly I was uh, fired into it. And, uh, <laughs> I was approached by Fianna Fáil to see would I run for them in the local election in 2009 and uh, it was a big decision to see would I run for them or not and uh, I decided that you know I liked their, their style of doing work locally here there's some great councillors and were in 2009 mm-hmm. and um, I uh, was very successful in 2009 and I got a seat uh, I wasn't the first one home but I got one of the, one of the seats for the areas and uh, I'm still a councillor today in 2021, so um, I've enjoyed that time. And I suppose, you know, that's how I got into politics. I got into, you know, into community working in the council. And a lot of the work in the council is more about community rather than politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's important that people understand that a lot of county councillors work together on different projects. And it's not about politics. It's about it's about trying to improve your local community. And if somebody has a yeah. good idea, you back them on that and you try to help them out for the betterment of your area. So that's I think, kind of where it led from. I think when I look, and it's only my own observation that there, when I look at uh, county councillors and TDs, the most successful ones I think of are community activists that have come in with the goal of improving their community. With uh, They've been involved in the community for years they know what the needs of their own community are and they want to deliver on those. Um, when I think of yourself, uh, or, uh, you would fall into that category. For me, you would fall into that category. And even I believe uh, you have, uh, a, a, I wouldn't like to call it a business because it's voluntary, uh, there, but you have a, a, an organization where you do inflatable uh, floats for parades and different events and all that there. Would you like to tell me a wee bit about that? Yeah, Jim, I, I've been involved with Castlery Festival for for many, many years. I, I think over 20 years. And uh, we, we ran a very, very successful parade in Castlery. It was one of the biggest in the west of Ireland. But unfortunately, we got to the stage where it was getting terribly expensive to run and, and it was very very hard to collect enough sponsorship to run that. We had a lot of big 
theatre companies coming to Castlereagh to provide props and floats for that festival. But we got to the stage where we decided we needed to go out on our own and to meet, make our own floats and you know get involved that way. So we we started buying some in some inflatable art and getting it designed and helping in designing different types of it and. Um, we actually brought in quite a lot of it from China ourselves, which was, a, I suppose, a daunting task. I think that you're yeah. importing something from China halfway around the world and trying to get it through customs and get it cleared and, and get it to your town. So um, we started off at that business. And uh, I think the first parade we done was in Balaná, the Balaná Salmon Festival, where we nearly harassed them try and get some of our floats into the parade and uh, we, we, we were successful there and we had some sound and music and our, we had these illuminated stars which were at the time very cool and Banana uh, Salmon Festival were delighted with what we had and we built on that from there and uh, we also done other parades some of them nighttime, some of them daytime mm-hmm. and uh, we built up a huge amount of equipment over those years and of course, the reason we were able to build up all of this equipment was because as volunteers, we don't get paid to, while we while we charge to, to bring the floats to the parade, we don't actually get paid ourselves for it. We just get um, our uh, a bite to eat and, and the price of your diesel to get you home yeah. if you're driving your own car. So we put an awful lot of money back into equipment and we would have the largest uh, collection of inflatable art pieces in either Ireland or England. We would be the biggest supplier of that equipment. And uh, we've been very fortunate. We've done a lot of very big parades. Uh, we were the main supplier to the Castle Bar uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade for the, for a long number of years. We also supply equipment to the Dead of Night Parade in Longford. Um, we done the, the Drum Shambo and Carrick and Shannon Festival. we done um, ones in... Um, Oma in the north. Uh, we also done ones in Athlone and uh, different places around the country, you know, Sligo. And uh, that has been very successful for us. But it also meant that we had equipment that could be used locally at other events, yeah. sound systems and staging and lighting and things like that. So we, we, we were delighted to help out with the community locally in other ways. But also the money that was collected also meant that we could run a very successful Castle Rose Festival here where we brought some very big bands that normally we wouldn't be able to afford otherwise and put on fireworks displays and different things. So that business, you know, while it's a voluntary business for us, mm-hmm. it's a serious business when it comes to, you know, uh, equipment and uh, we have to charge obviously for it because we have to be insured when we go out. Yeah. But we also have to have top class equipment that, uh, you know, the budget for running running the equipment each year is, is quite large and you know I suppose when we think of when we go back maybe 20 or 25 years ago the budget for Castlereagh Rose Festival might have been three or four thousand pounds and uh, we could spend three or four thousand pounds now or euros or maybe five or six thousand euros on purchasing new equipment every year in fact some years we spent over ten thousand purchasing new pieces of equipment so we're, we've moved on from that now and we're, we're moving on to you know, we're rejuvenating ourselves, as I said too early, we always have to do. So we're, we're looking now at a new idea, which is animatronic dinosaurs. And they're they're quite uh, cool and uh, very real life uh, if you see them. Um, and uh, we're hoping to bring in some of those from China in the next six months and that we'll have them for the 2022 season. Um, quite scary, but quite good. I like that the idea of them. They're 
they're really cool and uh, I don't believe there are any actually in Ireland at the moment so we're hoping to have five or six of them for going out into our 2022 season. So really the operations of this is that you've bought in these inflatable artworks these inflatable artworks are for uh, events around Castlery, but you've also hired them out right across Ireland and the money comes straight back at or into the local community again and is reinvested in doing other things in, in Castlery. I think that is amazing. I think uh, uh, credit to everyone involved in that there because it takes determination, it takes time, it takes effort and all that there. And it's great to see people doing that. Um, Pascal, for people that are interested in hiring those art pieces, how do they contact you? Yeah, they can contact us via Facebook if they like. I mean, I'm on Facebook myself and Castlery Rose Festival are both on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can be contacted that way. You know, we, we, we I suppose we, we promote ourselves via Facebook uh, with new equipment and that would that would something we'll be doing again over the winter. So I'd hope that people would be, uh, you know, fairly e- fairly easily able to contact us in relation to that. So it's it's uh, it, but it's something that has has been good for us as a committee and as a community group that we have this equipment and it has worked really really well for us. It's very hard work, you know. At times you might say uh, people think well you have a parade for half an hour, but there could be three hours setting up and three hours taking it down and you know, and getting home again safely. So it's it's hard work, but we enjoy it. Uh, you certainly wouldn't need to go to the gym for for a couple of days <laughs> after being out doing a parade because it could be pushing and pulling and, uh, you know, for a long number of hours and you'll find you have muscles where you never thought you had muscles. But <laughs> it's 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 something that, that I certainly have enjoyed over the time. And we've also worked with a guy called uh, PJ Bateson, who is uh, Art Tastica and, DJ supplies uh, quite a lot of equipment to the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Dublin. So we've worked with him on a number of events in other places like Kildare and different parts around the country. And uh, he, he gives us some great ideas. And I suppose we'd, we'd like to think we give him some great ideas. But um, we've had a good partnership with him over the time. So it has worked well for us. And I suppose it's been a bit of fun. And when you look back on the old photographs over the years, you know, you see things that you've done and how you've evolved with new equipment and uh, it's, it's a constant evolving thing but we keep reinvesting what we can into it we're, we're very fortunate that we have a lot of our own staging and we have a stage dome now and we have our own generators and we also have our own seating and we have uh, an awful lot of equipment so we, we're kind of self-sufficient and was that's something we want to be is self-sufficient that yeah. we, we can guarantee we can put on a show any day of the week any night of the week because we have our own equipment to do so so that's been very good for us our own sound right. systems and things like that so yeah. um, it's been good and uh, but we're we're constantly reinvesting we, we purchased some um, very um, high volume lighting there recently which will mm-hmm. be added to our systems and that's for safety where we can uh, light up with specialized flood lighting in a very large area to make it safe uh, yeah. on or during events especially in the dark so all of those things are just reinvestments and mm-hmm. we, we, we hope to invest something in the region of uh, 20 to 30,000 over the next two years in more equipment to make our shows better and this was look at more more entertaining and exciting for people yeah. so it's, it's constantly evolving as I said but we have a great committee there Castle Rose Rose Festival have a super committee of about 15 people there that are very dedicated to 
making sure that the festival runs. And it's like any organisation, you know, unless you have volunteers and people to help out, well, you're going nowhere. You can have yeah. all the money in the world, but without volunteers, you, you have nothing, you know. Yeah. Pascal, I'd really like to thank you for taking the time to have the chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for in the show today. I'd like to thank my guest, Pascal Fitzmaurice, uh, Margaret McHugh for helping me produce the show, and Louis Fargo for helping me research it. Join me next week on The Business Hour from 5pm to 6pm on Ross FM 94.6. Until then, stay tuned. The Business Hour podcast is kindly sponsored by photo-me.ie. Hi, Jim McCausland here, presenter of The Business Hour show on Ross FM. Just dropping by to let you know The Business Hour show airs every Thursday from 5pm to 6pm on Ross FM 94.6. To listen in, visit rossfm.ie forward slash live or download my weekly podcast from anchor.fm forward slash the business or show text your questions and comments to 083-85-99748 or info at rossfm.ie the business or show supporting local and international business through local radio Revolution Laundry, the self-service 18kg Revolution Laundry machine can wash and dry your bedding, curtains, outdoor furniture, throws, car covers or mats for as little as €10. We are located all across Ireland in mainly large supermarkets and forecourts. Find your nearest Revolution Laundry machine on our website www.revolutionlaundry.ie don't miss out on our Facebook giveaway to win a week worth of free washing. Revolution Laundry is partnered with Tesco, Circle K, Supervalue, Apple Green and independent sites. Our machines are for domestic use only.